Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. Back on Zoom, uh, Patrick Fisher, the Executive Director of Erie Arts and Culture, and we're talking about the 2021 United Arts Fund. Patrick, good to see you, sir. Yeah, good to see you too, Joel. Thanks for having me today. All righty, United Arts Fund. Uh, this is there's a strong tradition of of uh, let's say an ability for all of us to be patrons of the arts. Absolutely. So this this campaign has been in operation since 1967. Wow. It was one of the first in the entire nation. Uh, there's been hundreds of United Arts funds across the nation, and, and essentially one gift to your uh, local or regional arts council benefits many because there's a, a specific uh, breakdown distribution of, of where that gift goes. So uh, it's been referred to by different names over the years, um, and, and unfortunately it's been challenging to keep the steam over the years as how people give uh, has changed. Uh, and also we have new campaigns in our community or newer campaigns like Erie Gives, uh, which which isn't all that much different. So it's been challenging to keep the steam over the years, but you're definitely right. There's a long tradition. Well, and I'm thinking, too, that when you think about some of the assets, the art assets that we have that have been around for decades or in even over a century, there were there were ladies' guilds that uh, – bought the Hassam or uh, that, you know, might have uh, been part of putting the Minerva in the in in the library. Do you know some of these stories? Yeah, I do. Uh, and it's always great when there's someone in the community that knows them a little bit better than I do. And they, they are quick to share them with me yeah. because, I, you know, it's it's many hands make light work. Right. And when we think about patrons, we often think about one or two uh, individuals that are able to make very large contributions. But if you look at the, the community in Erie, uh, it's historically been multiple, multiple individuals, you know, tens, if not uh, hundreds of individuals that are all making gifts that are meaningful to them. So not necessarily six figure gifts, but gifts that are meaningful to them. Uh, and then when you have all those gifts come together, that's when you're able to, to really make some progress and change in the community. Let's, let's talk about the state of the arts um, that people might be contributing to in the United Arts Fund. You know, in some of our previous conversations during the pandemic, Patrick, you've said, hey, there, there, is, some, there is some really tough uh, go of it for anyone, especially in the performing arts. Did the visual arts see the same kind of contagion from COVID? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's challenging because a lot of visual artists in our community, they really rely heavily on markets and festivals and other live mm -hmm. events to be able to uh, present and sell their work. And those were all canceled for 15 plus months. So definitely the visual arts did feel an impact by way of, of individual artists themselves. Um, but then you also had uh, organizations that present visual art that, that certainly um, took an impact as well. Not only did they have to think about the uh, additional costs that they'd have to incur in order to uh, be compliant with recommendations and, and restrictions, um, but also they just had to, you know, be up against public sentiment of, is it safe to go out? Is it safe to be around people? So even after things could open back up, you didn't see those numbers necessarily return as, as strongly as we might think. 
Uh, and rightfully so, right? It's, it's probably best that we have a slow scale up. So I'd say that while the visual arts definitely took probably the largest hit, uh, the visual arts and literary arts certainly took hits as well. The difference with the visual arts than the, the performing arts though is it's, you know, there's a, there's not as much production that has to go into bringing that work online. You can post work online much easier than say do a live performance because you have to take into consideration timing and audio levels and production quality and all of these other things. It was, it was remarkable though, the kind of, you know, some of the creativity that we saw, of course, our most creatives were being creative in order to be able to exhibit their work. And so we saw the Philharmonic go on WQLN and maybe you, you don't have the horn section, but you are able to have a, a string quartet or a string orchestra, you know, play and perform. And, and probably as far as art going to the masses, COVID-19 was an accelerator. Yeah, I mean, again, many hands make light work, right? If, if it wasn't for community partners like WQLN and Community Access Media and Menagerie Studios and others, uh, R. Frank, there, there wouldn't be this ability to rapidly scale up online distribution of these events. Uh, and, and many of these community partners were eager to help because they recognized the the importance of this programming uh, to our community. So I can't say enough about the media production companies uh, and distribution companies that exist within our community. They really stepped up during a time of crisis. You know, when FDR was in office, he actually uh, did part of the, the New Deal to help artists. Was there anything as part of the CARES Act? Uh, I know that some of the venues got extra money, uh, the, the shuttered venues, but what about individual artists or uh, arts organizations? Did they get help beyond the PP, uh, the, the, the Paycheck Protection Plan? Yeah, there was some funding, not quite like the New Deal. I mean, during the New Deal, I think it was $35 million was, was uh, d distributed to artists. I think something like 43,000 artists got put to work um, to create public sculpture and public artwork. I mean, that's where a lot of monuments and memorials and other public art arose from was that New Deal plan. In addition to that, uh, that funding also um, supported the establishment of community galleries, because again, they realized if you put artists to work, there's an economic impact there, but also if you provide people with access to beauty and dignity and these other things, there's there's other quality of life benefits that come from that. So during during uh, the pandemic, there's there's been uh, some funds that have been administered at a federal level through the National Endowments for the Arts. A lot of that funding has also trickled down to state arts councils, um, but there's been some challenges with the first round of funding through the NEA, you could only apply if you had previously been funded by the NEA. Oh. So for arts organizations in our community, there really was only maybe two that could apply for that, ourselves and um, the, the Philharmonic. We didn't get any funding from that, though it was highly competitive. There was more requests than there were funding. Uh, we did get some small funding from the, the State Arts Council. Um, and then I'm really thankful for Erie County, um, Erie County government stepping up uh, with their ARP dollars, they've benchmarked a uh, million dollars to the nine lead assets in Erie County. 
um, that's that's huge. Um, so I can't say enough about um, you know County Executive Kathy Dahlkemper and County Councils for making that decision to um, distribute a little bit of the ARP dollars to the need assets. I mean, some you know some of our arts assets have have endowments, but n nobody really has any deep pockets, do they, Patrick? I, I would say no, but also the thing about endowments, you know, our endowment sits at about $4.5 million, but it's restricted, right? It's to go towards very specific thing, live performances, arts and education, right? There's there's not many people that have large endowments that are just unrestricted to support with your operations. And, and that's part of the challenge with how giving has changed over the years. It's went from unrestricted giving to programmatic and restricted giving. So giving is great. By no means am I trying to say it's not. But in order to be nimble and respond to both either the needs of the community or a crisis, you need to have those unrestricted dollars because it's those unrestricted dollars that will allow you to, to think on your feet. But in addition, you know, without unrestricted dollars, you can't be doing research and development to think about how do we innovate? How do we get ahead of all of this? How do we make our work as accessible and as inclusive and as equitable as possible? Because when you're only given programmatic dollars, it's kind of always in response to what you're currently doing, not necessarily the work that needs to be done. And that kind of segues right into the purpose of the United Arts Fund, right? Yeah, so with the United Arts Fund, it, it does provide unrestricted giving to both Erie Arts and Culture, as well as our cultural service partners, which includes the Erie Philharmonic, the Erie Playhouse, the Experienced Children's Museum, the Hagen History Center, and the flagship Niagara League. In addition to that, funds do get added to our Ignite Arts Grant Program, which provides grant funding to arts and humanities-based projects throughout Erie County. So last year, I think we... Um, funded almost $70,000 in projects in Erie County through that grant program. Um, this year, it'll probably be a, a similar amount. Um, so yeah, if, if with the United Arts Fund, a, a gift to one benefits many um, for that particular reason. One of the things we've talked about over the past couple of years, Patrick, since we've been chatting with you is um, kind of blowing up the, the idea that this is some kind of a upper upper middle class, upper class uh, uh, dalliance, if you will. Uh, the arts are really for everybody. And I, I have a case in point here. So um, you mentioned the Hagen History Center. I remember as a kid when the Watson Curtsy Mansion was owned by the school district, they used to have music classes during the summer. And I think they still do a lot of classes. Maybe they're, they're different kinds. But uh, that's where I learned how to play the recorder, was on the lawn at Watson Curtsy. And, and I'm thinking about how this little kid from 18th Street, definitely not from the upper class, you know, was able to benefit from arts. And, and I think you, you can make a very powerful statement about how arts are for everybody. Well, I would first like to say this is when we segue into a recorder solo by Joel Natale. I'd love, I'd pay good money to uh, hear that. I think that's our next fundraiser, actually. Oh, that's just terrible. Oh, my. But, you know, uh, on that topic, right now we actually have a T-shirt on our website where if you make a contribution to the United Arts Fund, you can get it where it says Arts for All. Mm. And on the back it says we defend uh, arts and culture. And, and that's the truth. You know, arts... The arts are intended to be this um, 
this great equalizer across all socioeconomic uh, levels. Everybody is intended to have access to it. It's not supposed to be this thing that's elite. If you look at the early, early, early days of the artist, you know, thinking back to even things like hieroglyphics, it was the artists serving the community, right? It was the artists using their talents to uh, bring to fruition a community desire or intention. And that was up to the point that the church started to get involved. And once the church started being able to commission works, that's how it started to change and it started to move into this, this idea of the arts being for the upper echelons. But you're seeing, especially over the last five to 10 years, that sentiment being challenged very heavily. And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges we have as we try to raise funds through things like the United Arts Fund is folks are always saying, well, why would we fund this luxury thing when we have so many pressing issues within our community? And I always try to make the case that no matter what your passion, your priority, or your mission is, the arts and humanities can help you get closer to achieving that goal and that outcome, whether it be economic development, community development, personal development, right? Whatever the case may be, the arts play a role in that. I think a really great example of that actually is in April, we had a arts and agency week. And one of the groups that we brought in to present on their work was the Poor People's Campaign, which started out of the, the early marches and, and the work of MLK. Yeah. And they use heavily the visual arts and the performing arts in their work around raising awareness of dignity wages and poverty that exists within the U.S. You know, and, and they use that at marches and at protests. So no matter what your, your passion or your purpose is, I believe heavily that the arts uh, play a role in helping elevate awareness as well as develop creative solutions to some of these systemic issues. Yeah, I, I mean, to leave beauty out of, of basic human renewal, it, it, it would be a fallacy. Yeah, you know, I'm going to share an example that that uh, honestly brought me to tears about two weeks ago, and I, I hope this person doesn't mind me sharing this. But we've been working. We we finished a mural over on um, on the building of the former Wayne School, uh, which is now ECAT, and the mural is a, a dedication to Carla Hughes, who was a, a longtime teacher for Erie Public Schools. But she was so much more than just that. I mean, if you knew Carla. You, she just did so much in our community and she was such a uh, tremendous personality and, and a wonderful individual. And that loss was just felt widely throughout our community. So we wanted to do a memorial mural for her and, and we started to work very closely with her brother, Joe. And um, a lot of emotions arose for Joe and the family during the course of creating that mural. And I got a text message from Joe at the close of that project thanking us and everybody involved, you know, and, and Joe's sentiment was, I didn't know that I needed this as part of my healing, right? And when people think about things like public art, yes, it is beautiful. And yes, it, it does help improve our visual landscape. But there's so many other things that can go on behind the scenes, like like with Joe and helping him heal through this, this loss that he's been um, suffering. Or when we did the mural with Rudy, what it means to be seen in a way that you probably previously weren't seen and validated in a way that you may not have previously been validated. There's so much that arises through these projects that, that often might not impact 
tens of thousands of people at a very personal level, but you might impact a few people at an extremely, extremely personal level. And for everybody else, it's just a matter of this is something I appreciate the, the visual beauty of it. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about how, um, you know, the city mission recently did, uh, you know, a couple new buildings and they build a, uh, uh, you know, they build a courtyard, you know, for complex, uh, for contemplation. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about how, uh, you know, even architecture can drive you to, you know, to new understandings of yourself and your lived experience and, and moving forward in your life. And for people that are in recovery, this is essential. And so you, again, you wouldn't, you would not just be utilitarian, you know, in order to move people down down their life's journey. There is a place for beauty and of encouragement and to be able to use all of your senses while you're doing that. Again, whether it is um, whether it is sounds or or sights or smells. So in 2012, the Knight Foundation, which is a, a highly uh, respectable foundation that's that a national level foundation, they did a study about communities and the growth of communities. And what they found is that the number one thing that contributes to people choosing to live somewhere or start a business somewhere is the aesthetics of place. That is what connects them emotionally to the places that they invest in. So their art, their parks, their green spaces, which is surprising, right? Because I think we're conditioned to think, oh, it's gotta be public safety, it's gotta be uh, public education. But the truth is people expect those things, right? Those are the base level of expectations. The way you make someone fall in love with the place and want to invest in that place they found out number one leading cause aesthetics of place. Do you think that um, Erie, well, Erie hasn't always gotten that because we used to have, you know, all kinds of uh, construction and um, uh, manufacturing along our bayfront. But our bayfront is is just an, an incredible thing to look at and to experience. Do you think we're getting better at uh, 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 you know providing that sense of place by using the water and our connection to the lake? Yeah, I think we're getting better. I think we still have ways to go. I think that we need to do better about connecting people. I think that access is still a mm. huge issue. You know, I I uh, am a walker and a runner, and I love the Bayview Trail. And, you know, I use it through the West Bayfront, down along the Bay, uh, Bayfront, and then into Frontier Park. But I'll tell you that when I'm running that, the amount of, of noise pollution from the traffic right there it is intense, man. It's really intense. Uh, and so I think that we're getting there, but I think that we still have a long way to go. And I think that uh, sometimes we don't give ourselves credit for thinking that we can get to our tipping point faster than we actually can. You know, our, the size of our city, I think, allows us to get to that tipping point a, a bit quicker than we might uh, expect. I got about two minutes before our break here. This is really begging the question about where public art is. And, and again, uh, I think there's been more public art that I'm aware of in the last five years than in my entire lifetime. Uh, uh, you've got to be pretty satisfied, but there's probably more to do, right? 
Yeah, so in the last three years, we've either funded, led, collaborated on, or consulted on the creation of 65 plus new public art assets in Erie County in the last three years. Uh, and we have a, a few other projects that are in the pipe work that we're uh, collaborating on or consulting on or leading ourselves. So I definitely think we're making great progress. And I love that a lot of the work that's occurring in Erie is, is participatory in nature. Uh, and it's really about um, providing agency and empowerment to the community members who will have to live with it each and every day. So uh, I'm definitely thrilled. And, and again, uh, I think we're making great progress, but I also know that we have a long way to go. I just love that you could be on your walk and you encounter a traffic single box and it's a piece of public art, you know? Yeah. I, I and mean, it's, it's no longer that, being, you know, it's no longer being defaced, right? It's not being tagged. Nothing's being stuck on it. It's, it's now actually being respected as opposed to previously just being a canvas for uh, vandalization. And the idea of honoring people, whether it's on Methodist Towers with that massive five-story image or or this— That's, That image is nine stories. Oh, it's nine— <laughs> Wow. I mean, it's so remarkable. And, and honestly, I, I drove past ECAT, the Erie Center for Arts and Technology, and saw the Carla image, and it just it just moves you. And it breaks your heart because of— the loss to her family and to the rest of us. Yeah, we had a really beautiful dedication and blessing ceremony there on Saturday this past weekend. Wow. And I'd say that we probably had maybe, I don't know, 70, 80 folks show up and uh, you couldn't help but feel how loved Carla was, but also you couldn't help but also feel how special this mural was to everybody. The fact that, that she's now, um, I mean, no one's going to forget Carla, even if that mural wasn't there. But now, in a very public way, she's a part of our, our visual landscape. And it just is so fitting that, you know, it's on the building where children that uh, could use a little extra help after school are going to be able to get that help inside ECAP. Patrick, great to have you back on the show here talking about trying to raise $750,000 collectively during this year's fund drive. How does that measure up uh, on past uh, past uh, attempts to raise money? Is this is this on the higher end or is this kind of right in the middle there? Yeah, you know, I, I, I would like to acknowledge Erie Insurance for their tremendous corporate support of the United Arts Fund over, you know, decades. And over the last several years, they've done a really great job of, of continuing to push us uh, to, to raise the bar on what we're raising. So uh, their corporate goal they set for us last year in order to get their full contribution was a half a million. Wow. Uh, and this year, in order to get their full contribution, they increased it to three quarters of a million. Um, but the, last year's campaign raised almost $800,000. Uh, the year before that raised almost 700000 So you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that collectively between Erie Arts and Culture and our cultural service partners will be able to hit that, that marker. Um, it's challenging when you get a lot of generos generosity arose during COVID. Um, how do you continue that generosity or encourage that generosity after just a crisis in our community um, is, is always a question. But the, the numbers we've been seeing through the United Arts Fund over the past three years is substantially higher than what it had been probably the, the previous 10 years. Uh -huh. um, you know, it, it really took a hit around 2008 because not only did you have the financial crisis, 
But, you know, a lot of our corporate citizens that existed here, um, we saw them either um, move or close their doors and, and close their business. Um, so, so our corporate citizen base of our United Arts Fund took a pretty heavy hit uh, around that time. Also, you know, when you have uh, tremendous, tremendous programs like the Neighborhood Assistance Program and the Educational Improvement Tax Credit Program uh, provided through the Department of Community and Economic Development at a state level, it's really challenging to, again, make the case for unrestricted gifts when you can make a programmatic gift and get, you know, anywhere from 45 cents to 95 cents on the dollar as a tax credit. So those are all the things that we're up against as we try to annually do this campaign is that, you know, our, our corporate base has changed over the years, but then we also have these really fantastic tax incentives that benefit programmatic giving. I'm interested in seeing if some of the, some of the you know, the more successful startups are uh, a place where there could be some growth here. Um, again, uh, we, we you know we have some growing businesses that uh, that are that are not our legacy manufacturers that uh, that possibly um, would be more inclined to uh, to give to the arts. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, my focus has been the creative industries because I think the creative industries are are quick to recognize and understand the value and impact of the creative and cultural sector. I think that the challenge with being a startup in particular and attracting gifts from startups is they're typically going to be giving from their marketing pot, right? So gotcha. so when you when you make contributions, you essentially have two pots of funds you're pooling from. Your philanthropic dollars, which is just saying we believe in this work and its mission, and therefore we want to give to it. And then your marketing dollars, which is we believe in this work, but we also want to uh, be visible in, in our gift, right? And, and that's where you see sponsorship of events and other things. Um, so I think what we typically see in our community, and I might be wrong, uh, feel free to challenge me on this, anybody that's listening, but I think that with startups and those smaller businesses, they tend to give through marketing dollars, and therefore they're typically looking at sponsorships of events and activities, as opposed to again unrestricted contributions. So uh, again, when you take the the United Arts Fund and the unrestricted dollars that go to the, the arts and culture, and then you you take each individual um, each individual asset doing their programming, um, I could see where the, it, you, there would be some watering down or or not competition necessarily, but uh, but yeah, people would pick from a menu, right, uh, of what they want to do, um, and so we just have to make a case of saying, you know what, arts for art's sake, arts for all, is a is a worthy a, a worthy don't uh, recipient. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I struggle with that statement, arts for art's sake, because I think that as someone that works within the arts, I understand intrinsically everything that comes with the arts mm -hmm. but i think that when you just say arts for art's sake you're missing it that's when people typically think about like the institutional art or the the admission based art right when they're thinking of arts for art's sake that's typically i think where people's minds go they're not thinking about so so every single one of our cultural service partners and ourselves we do a great job of subsidizing when school programming is cut. Every single one of us provides arts and education at, at almost no expense or at no expense to families, individuals in the school district. You know, we go into 
schools and we do uh, residencies and we do workshops or we do field trips into the institutions, right? So when we're talking about funding even the large arts organizations, a lot of them are doing things well below their market value because they understand the intrinsic value of it. So when we're talking about arts for art's sake, let's not only think about those admission-based things, but also thinking about those things that are done either free or at a reduced price um, for youth, families, school districts, communities, et cetera. And there's a tremendous amount of it. I mean, thinking about the, the Philharmonic alone, what they do with the school district or what they do um, setting up at events with the, the um, instrument petting zoo and, and all of these other things. I mean, it really is, is quite remarkable. What, what about uh, support of artists and, and, and the whole idea of Erie driving a, a context for artists to thrive? We've talked about uh, even down to uh, districts of where we could, we could have architecture or we could have uh, like, like a lived context – where artists would do well. I'm thinking of PACA. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, up and down State Street, maybe maybe Midtown, if you will. Um, what, you know, kind of the Hill District and that kind of, that funky, artsy kind of, of vibe here. Um, are, does the Arts Fund, you know, get involved with that kind of, um, you know, just a building context? Yeah, so as I mentioned, the, the United Arts Fund does benefit our um, Ignite Arts grant program, and organizations like PACA do apply for and receive funding from that grant program. Additionally, individual artists benefit from that grant program because a lot of the projects that are applied for, whether it's Mercy Center for Women or the Erie City Mission or um, you know Crime Victim Center, they're applying for funding for arts-based projects as non-arts organizations, and they're hiring artists in our community to lead those projects, whether they're um, performing arts, whether they're visual arts, whether they're literary arts. There are artists that are being directly employed in our community as a result of those projects uh, that are funded in part through our grant program. As far as the idea of embedding artists in communities and because let's be honest artists are great at, at sweat equity um, you can look at braddock pennsylvania as a tremendous example of how that community turned around by providing space either free or below market value to artists and then once artists were there they provided sweat equity in helping build the community up but also you can look at the winwood district in miami which is one of the most expensive uh, markets in the u.s you can look at the uh, River North District in Denver. These were unwanted industrial districts that nobody wanted to touch. Artists moved in there because it was affordable. Once they were there, they brought with them vibrancy and culture and activity and all of these other things. And then unfortunately, because they were renters, they got priced out, oh, right? Wow. They didn't have the capital to make purchases early on. So once the once the attractiveness was there, they got priced out. We really have the ability in Erie to um, provide space for those types of things, but we also have the ability to have policy in place that could prevent against that type of gentrification. So I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to 
Um, similar to how we want to attract first responders to living in the cities and teachers to live in the cities, we should equally be trying to attract artists to live and work in our community because there's a lot of artists that have been priced out of New York City and Los Angeles and Miami and Chicago and other areas. And, and a, a larger amount than you might expect might have connections to this region, whether their family lives here, maybe they vacationed here, maybe they just like four season cities that are on the lake, right? Right. So, so we do have the ability to, to position that. Do you think that those conversations are happening, Patrick? I'm trying my darndest to make those conversations <laughs> happen. I definitely, uh, I talk to anybody that will listen to about these things. But I think the challenge is, is when, when you don't have a direct reference point, Right. How many people in our in our community that are in, involved with policy planning and, and really thinking about capital investments have been to places like Wynwood, have been to places like Rhino, have been to places like, you know, even Braddock. Right. We have to get outside of our bubble because otherwise our reference points are only going to be things that we have tried in the past and whether or not they've succeeded or failed. So uh, I definitely uh, have no, uh, I've, I've not held back in these conversations at all. I, I thought that, that even Buffalo had made some investments for maker spaces and things like that. You know, I was, first off, Buffalo's crushing it. I think what Albright Knox does with their bringing artists in and, and doing neighborhood projects is fantastic. But I was just in Flint, Michigan a couple of weeks ago to present at a conference on placemaking. And what I found so remarkable about Flint, Michigan is one, in two years, they've created 200 murals, which from a pedestrian standpoint, when visiting Flint, you want to walk all over Flint because every time you turn a corner, you see something new and, and there's this sight line that goes from one mural to the next. So you just keep being drawn through the city. And then you want to you want to support the businesses that you pass. You want to try the coffee shops. You want to support the retailers. You want to check out the restaurants. You want to go to the breweries, right? All of these things are really remarkable. And it's, it's murals that lead you through there. But with Flint in particular, what I thought was so remarkable is that after the crisis and even before the crisis, let's be honest, the water crisis, the government had failed them so miserably that the community themselves adopted a sense of agency and power, right? So they transitioned from apathy, thinking that they couldn't do anything, thinking that it was the government they had to look to for, for resolution or funders, to just saying, however we make it happen, we make it happen. So I met individuals that were involved in their hip hop community that, so a couple summers ago, there was 1,300 cases of arson in Flint in one summer. And that has left 12 blocks completely raised, right? And there is this group of, of gentlemen that are involved in the hip hop community there that realized one of the ways to offset the impact of lead and, and consumption of lead is nutrient dense foods. But Flint is a food desert. So on this 12 acre or these 12 city blocks, without any permission, without any funding, they started urban gardens and urban farms. And they've built 25 hoop houses to date, and they're growing food and giving it to the community. So, you know, those are the types of things that I would love to bring people out of Erie to see. I know we're using Cincinnati as a reference point, and that's great when you're thinking about a top-down approach. But when thinking about bottom-up, grassroots community levels, our community needs to see that community citizens have power. 
and that they have agency and that they can be resourceful and that they can be creative and that they can be collaborative, right? Because when we have a scarcity mindset, mm-hmm. two things happen. One, we become apathetic and we think that we can't make a difference. And then two, if we are trying to make a difference, we become extremely competitive with anybody else that's trying to make a difference. And I think Flint was a just phenomenal reference point of how to get things done at a grassroots level. It seems to me, and again, you know the kind of conversations we have on the show here where we're talking about ARP funding and you know uplifting uh, through investments through the Minority uh, Community Investment Coalition. It seems to me that having the arts involved in that conversation at that, at that high level with county government, with city government, would would be able to be bring along more equity, you know, more diversity as these dollars are tranched out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that no matter what the conversation is, you benefit from having someone embedded in that conversation that is represents culture and creativity, not just the arts. I'll say culture and creativity okay. because oftentimes we're able to maybe push the conversation in a way to think about a solution or an approach that if you're just like this pragmatist or, or um, kind of checklist oriented, you might not be thinking about. So, you know, I, I definitely think that no matter what the conversation around, you know, how do we uh, first acknowledge and then start to reverse the impact of redlining and racist policies and, and white supremacy? How do we, um, you know, tackle substance abuse and addiction in our communities? How do we deal with um, the homeless and and, uh, the housing crisis that we see? You know, how do we deal with uh, access and inclusion, right? All of these things, you benefit from the arts being there. And at the very least, because the arts teach empathy, right? The arts by their nature create empathy because the work you're engaging with was created from a perspective typically other than your own, right? Mm-hmm. So at the very least, if we can bring empathy to the table, we're, we're going to benefit from that. That's amazing stuff. All right, last two minutes. Let's get to, get to brass tacks and show people and tell people how to get involved in the Erie Arts Fund. United yeah, so Arts if you Fund. go to erieartsandculture.org slash UAF for United Arts Fund, you're able to make a contribution Right now, we do have the Arts for All t-shirt, and if you make a contribution of $28 or more, you're going to be given one of those t-shirts, which allows you to be an advocate in our community for the work that we do and and proudly uh, stand beside us in our belief that the arts are intended for all. Uh, You can also make larger contributions if you want. Do not feel your gift has to be limited to $28. If there is a specific organization that is uh, set to receive Um, funds from the United Arts Fund, our our five cultural service partners. You're also able to make a a contribution direct to them. But those contributions, please know, do not um, benefit Erie Arts and Culture or the Ignite Arts Grant Program. If you want to uh, make your gift benefit those other um, beneficiaries, you have to make that gift through us. And again, that's erieartsandculture.org slash UAF. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me at patrick at erieartsandculture.org. Or give me a call. Uh, my cell is 907-450-9114. Always happy to talk about any of this. Pretty amazing, uh, Patrick, when you think about, uh, uh, you know, established in 1967. This is this is a well-established way of how we fund the arts, how we build our, our uh, quality of life here in Erie, and it's, it's an essential part 
and again uh it's it's so easy to do and uh if like you said if if folks really want to maybe make a significant contribution but they want to talk to you about it again it's uh patrick at eriartsandculture.org right yep and and just to, to build off of that real quickly you know you talk about uh this has been long established 1967 our, our arts and culture sector would not look like it does today if it were not for the United Arts Fund in 1967. I think each of us has a responsibility to make sure that 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now, our sector looks even better, right? How does it look? How is it better than how we found it? How is it more equitable? How is it more vibrant? The only way that's possible is through direct support. And, and the United Arts Fund is a great way to do that. You're being handed the baton. Will you grab it? and keep going beautiful patrick fisher the executive director of the uh erie arts and culture and uh again one of our great leaders in this community we appreciate your taking the time thanks so much joel you've been listening to the joel natale show erie pennsylvania's daily podcast from talkerie.com subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at talkerie.com